Welcome to Church Alive. We're located in the heart of Rutherford, New Jersey, and we're ready to reach, teach, and empower people to impact their generation for Christ. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome home. Hey, I'm so glad you're here today. Can we just pray before we receive the word today? Father, in the name of Jesus. Daddy, you're amazing. Today, all we want to do is encounter you. We want to be changed in your presence today. Lord, we don't want to just simply be at a church event. We want to be in an encounter with you that changes us from the inside out. So today, open our ears that we may hear your voice and open our hearts to receive today. We desire all of you in this place. Here we are. Change us. In Jesus' name. And everybody together said, amen. Hey, as you're being seated, give somebody next to you a high five. Tell them it's good to have them in church today. Oh, it's so good to be with you uh, at Church Alive. I'm so excited to be here. I, I absolutely love what God's doing in this place. There's something powerful. Give it up for the worship team. These guys were amazing. Woo! Man, I was just digging it down. I could have just stayed there all day. That was brilliant. And I know when I grow up, I want to be as cool as H. That's all I'm saying. H, when I grow up, I want to be cool like you. Uh, you know, I love your pastors. I, I love Pastor Anthony and Miriam. I'm so glad you're checking in. We love you. And Hope, love you. Can't wait to see you one of these days in person and soon, hopefully. And, and uh, you guys, can I just encourage you? Um, man, you, you are so blessed in this place to have world-class pastors. You really do. Can you give it up for your pastors? They are unbelievable. I mean it. I am truly mean it. I, I get to travel all over the world, and I love these guys. What they're doing here uh, is incredible. So, man, it's so good for you to be a part of this with them. My wife, Danielle, she sends her blessings. She, we, um, she's taking care of church today in, in one of our campuses. We have a couple campuses at home, and uh, she's overseeing uh, the Cherry Hill campus this morning. And um, we've been married almost 22 years now, so I can't believe it, uh, but it's been phenomenal. And we have a, a, a 19-year-old, a 19-year-old, a nine, I, I have a 19-year-old son. I can't believe it. Come on, somebody, that is crazy. The years go by so, the years go by so fast. It's nuts. 19, his name's Jake, and he's just awesome. And I, I, I miss, and I miss when little, ba- J- little baby Jacob, I, don't, any parents in the house, don't you miss when they were little baby Jacob? They had a little, he, had like, he had little chubby legs and he had a little chubby butt. He used to shake his butt. It was so awesome. I love that. There's a lot of, I, there's a lot I miss about little baby Jacob. But one of the things I don't miss about little baby Jacob is, is do you remember, if you're a parent, do you remember when, when, uh, when, when your child had a, a Christmas or a birthday, those satanic toys that said some assembly required. Come on, somebody. How many know that was straight up from the devil, right? That's just a lie from the devil. Because when you open up, man, the directions are in like Chinese. Nothing fits together. It says some assembly. It takes you like eight hours. It's nuts. It's crazy. I had one of those days the other day. Danielle and I just bought a new house. And when I mean a new house, the house was built in 1771. It's new to us, right? It's just not new. And uh, it was used for the Underground Railroad, which was kind of cool for me because I'm a history geek. And um, and, and we needed, she, she, she figured we needed a new chandelier for the bedroom. And I'm thinking, yeah, we do. Come on, somebody. <laughs> yes, yeah, chandelier in the bedroom. It was good. So the kids are gone, right? We're all right. It's the adult service. And, um, and so I was thinking, this is awesome. Chandelier in the bedroom. It, it's going to be great. Except for the chandelier in the bedroom. Come on. Uh, when it was shipped, came in 300 pieces. 300 pieces. 
And the directions to put this 300-piece chandelier together were one side of one page, and it was just a picture. No words, just a picture. It took us three and a half hours. Well, I mean, when I say we, I mean her. It took her like three and a half hours to put this three. This is Why? Because it just gave me a picture and no words. Aren't you glad when it comes to building our life, when it comes to building God's church, when it comes to building God's kingdom, he didn't just give us a picture, but he gave us a picture and the word. He gave us a picture and the word. You and I have the picture of Jesus. The Bible says the word became flesh and walked among us. But in order for us to understand it, he also gave us the word of God so that we can actually know what we're looking at and understand how to put it in our life. And so when we're building our life, we've got a picture and the word in our lives. You know, Pastor Anthony and I have been talking over the last little while about the importance of the local church and how the local church is the hope of the world, isn't it? But, but it's more than just the hope of the world and the hope of our community. It's actually the hope of our own life because it's the hope for our lives to get bigger, our lives to be significant, our lives to have a purpose and a meaning at the end. That's where you find your purpose and meaning. It's actually inside the house of God. See, I love what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16 when he started to talk about his church, when he started to talk about his people. He has this passion for him. And he said, look, I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, what I, come on, somebody. Now, what I love about that thought is that what Jesus is doing is he's building a place to win. He's building a place for us to overcome our pain, our fears, our loneliness, our isolation, our uncertainty in life, our meaningless approach to life. He's building a place for you and I to overcome. But what I love about it the most is that Jesus isn't doing it alone. He's actually inviting you and I into the process. Come on, think about that for just a moment. God is inviting you and I into the salvation process of Clifton. God the God who spoke and billions of stars came into billions of universes. The God who dreamed up a universe so big that even with our modern technology, we can't even fathom the end of it. A God so big, so powerful who could do that still includes you and I into the salvation process of his world. What an amazing opportunity you and I have when we think about the local church. But maybe, just maybe, we need to start thinking about the church a little differently. Maybe church shouldn't be about a Sunday event. Maybe it should be about a place where we can engage with God's purpose, engage with God's people, and engage with God's power to change God's community. Amen. Maybe it's not just a place where we come to get, but maybe, maybe, just maybe, it's a place where we come to give and to see something happen in our world. I love this moment because he doesn't just say, Jesus isn't building his church by himself. Do you realize that from the very beginning, God's plan was never just to do it with you and him alone? Matter of fact, there's this beautiful moment in Genesis chapter 2 where Adam is walking with God. And I love that concept. He was walking with God. They had intimacy. But God stopped him and said, Adam, it's not enough for you and me just to be together. He actually, this is the only time in all of creation that something God made, he stopped and said, it's not good. See, some of us, I think, sometimes think, man, I got me and God. That's all I need, me and God, me and God. I don't need church. I don't need church. I don't need church. Yeah, but see, God said, no, that's wrong. God said, it's not good for you to be alone, Adam. It's not enough for just me and you. You need me and you, and you need God and you and God's people in you. See, those two things have to coexist together. 
Why? Because there's power when our life is attached to God and God's people. Come on, there's power when we are attached to God and God's people. Ecclesiastes 4.9 says that two are better than one because there's an increase for our labor. Some of us are working too hard to get too little. It's because we're not actually working together in the house of God. Come on, the word of God clearly says in, in our lives in Psalm 133 where there is a common sense of unity. Do you realize that's the word community? A common sense of unity. Where there's a common sense of unity going in one direction for one cause. God blesses that. That concept is that God has a, a, a cup of blessing. And when he sees people working together for his purpose and his cause, he begins to pour out even more favor into that place. Psalm 84, verse 4 says, Blessed, happy, prosperous are those who dwell in the house of God. Not visit, not show up occasionally. How many of you know there's a difference between a planted tree and a potted tree? Come on, how do you know the difference? Oh, they all bloom, they all look good, but when the storm comes, come on somebody, the potted tree ends up in the neighbor's yard. The planted tree stays. Why? Because its roots grow deep. It is planted in something that will stand. So I want to encourage you this morning, I just want to talk just a little bit about why church? Why church? I know it's probably crazy because you're here today, but maybe you know some folk. Come on, somebody. Maybe you know some folk who are thinking, man, I'm all cool. I'm all right. It's just God and me. No, no, no. We need each other because God created us for a purpose bigger than us. And that purpose includes God and God's people. Today, we're going to look, if you brought your Bibles, you can turn with me to Genesis chapter 6. Genesis is the first book in the Bible. If you didn't bring your Bible, it's all right. I know it's going to be on the screen in just a moment, but we're going to look at what I think is maybe the best building project in all of history. It's not the Empire State Building or Taj Mahal. Those, are, those things are impressive. For me, the greatest building project in all of the world is Noah's Ark. Come on, these eight people built something so big, two football fields long, eight stories high, just crazy. But they didn't have power tools. They didn't have, no, they didn't have a Home Depot. Come on, they couldn't, come on. They didn't even have a Taco Bell run to the border in the middle of the night to grab something to eat. They did it all by hand. They had to work really hard. And see, when we look at the ark, what we need to see is the ark is actually a picture of the church. It's where one righteous man is building something to save the world. Why? Because there is judgment coming. And this one righteous man builds the vehicle that will bring salvation to the world. But he doesn't build it alone. He still needs seven other people to help. Do you realize that's the picture of Jesus Christ for us? The picture of Jesus in the church. Jesus is building the church. Why? Because there is a storm coming. There's a storm coming. I don't know when Jesus is coming back, but I know he's coming back. And I know that my friends can't escape the judgment. I know my neighbors, my family members. I know the person on the street or the lady hooked in drugs, the single mom who's all alone, and the guy who knocked her up, come on somebody, cannot escape the judgment. And I don't know when he's coming, but I choose in my life, I'm going to live like he's coming tomorrow, come on somebody, and hope he's coming 100 years from now. I know some of you who are single in this place going, yes, please, Jesus, wait at least a couple years. Need to get married, Lord. Come on, hook me up. There is a judgment coming. One righteous man is building the church, but he still is including seven others with him. He's inviting you along. Why not join him where he is? Let's look at this text together, can we? Genesis chapter 6. We're going to start 
here in verse 14, it says, uh, God is saying, build a large boat from cypress wood and waterproof it with tar inside and out. Say inside and out. I'm going to stop there for just a second. See, he told Noah to seal the boat inside and out with tar. Why? Because what he's telling us is that when you and I come to Jesus, when we come to God, God seals us on the inside and the outside from the judgment that's going to come. Ephesians 1.13 says that the Holy Spirit seals me as a deposit guaranteeing my inheritance. Why is that so important? Because when we come to Christ, we can be assured that no judgment on the outside is ever going to get onto the inside. There's a sense of peace then in my life. I don't have to worry. I don't have to fret about standing in that day. I know that when I come to Christ, his his work has already sealed me in my life. Sealed on the inside and the out. The Bible goes on and says this, then construct decks and stalls throughout its interior, make the boat 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, 45 feet high, leave an 18-inch opening below the roof all the way around the boat, put the door on the side, build three decks inside the boat, lower, middle, and upper. Look, I'm about to cover the earth with a flood that will destroy every living thing that breathes. Everything on earth will die. But I will confirm my covenant with you. Come on, church. Do you realize that that's what God is doing through the church? God is saying through the church, I'm confirming my covenant of love to the world. The church is the rainbow. Come on, somebody. The church is the ark that actually people should be able to look at and say, man, I can see God's love in that place. I see how God loves me. I see God's plan for my life there. I can escape the loneliness, the hurt, the hopelessness that's in my world today. How? Because of what I see in the church. He says, man, so enter the boat. You and your wife and your sons and their wives, bring a pair of every kind of animal into the ark. Can I stop there for a moment? There were clean and unclean animals in the ark. That means in the house of God, there should be saved and unsaved people. There should be people who love God and people who don't. People who are struggling with God and people who are down here jumping for God. That's actually how the house of God should look. So sometimes we need to lose the judgment about who's sitting next to us and actually what they're wearing and what they think and how they should look. And I can't believe you wore that to church today. And Come on, there are clean and unclean animals in the ark. Mm, that's a different service. Hop down to verse 22. So Noah did everything exactly as God commanded him to do. Can I ask you one question? How different would our lives be? How different would Church Alive be? How different would Clifton be if we simply did that? If we as a community started to live our lives doing exactly what God told us to do. Come on, somebody. I promise you our life would be different. Maybe today, maybe, can we just look at the ark just for a few moments today and maybe begin to think differently about church and about our lives and, 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 and when it comes to it. I think maybe the first thing we can learn when we look at the ark is simply this. What God was building was complex, but it wasn't complicated. Come on, church is complex. Christianity is complex. It's deep, but it's not complicated. You know, come on, when you look at the ark, it had, it, had, it had decks and it had layers and it had platforms and it had sheep pens and elephant enclosures. It had all these things. It was complex, but it wasn't complicated. It didn't have navigational system. It didn't have computer wiring. It didn't have GPS. It just simply took hard work to do it. It was complex, but not complicated. I think sometimes when you and I think about living in church or what, what church is going to be, man, we get all wigged out. We make it too complicated. 
We, we, we think of all the rules and all the things we can't do a whole lot more than what we think of what we can do. But the Bible's not a book about what you can't be. The Bible's a book about what you can be in God. See, your life was about what you can't be before you came to Jesus. Now that you've come to Jesus, the world is open to you to be able to do things you could never do before. Sometimes we think about church, we think, oh my gosh, it's just so complicated. I mean, I don't know. I know pastor's got such a big vision. And I mean, what's that going to mean for me? And we start thinking about having to do choirs and outreaches and men's ministry and kids things. And we start thinking about, man, how, what's it going to cost me? And how much time am I going to have to give up? And man, how many times am I going to have to serve a month? And I don't really, I want to get my praise on, so I'm not sure. And I'll, I'll, I mean, how do I balance this with work and kids' soccer practice? And, and you and I, come on, if we're honest, we get overwhelmed. I get over, I'm the pastor who has the vision. I get overwhelmed. Because at times, we're looking at the wrong thing. We, we, we come to church and think, we get so overwhelmed by what church could be, uh, what, what, what we should do, rather than what we can do with God. I think sometimes you and I get overwhelmed because when we think about church, we base it all off of what we've seen, what we've experienced, and what we want. We, 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 we look at church and we begin to make church, uh, we build church off of our preferences rather than off of God's principles in our life. You know, if I was to say to you today, hey, build a boat, build a boat, can I tell you, there'd be 300 different boats being built. Because some of you would build a little dinghy, some of you build a rowboat. Why? Because when you were a kid, you used to go fishing with your dad in the back with a rowboat. It was awesome. Some of you would build a big yacht because you saw it on the lifestyles of the rich and famous. It's awesome. But you'd build something that you have seen that you wanted and that you prefer. And that's what happens when we come to church. We get 300 people trying to build, come on, church the way they want it to be off of our preference rather than off of God's principles. What I love about Noah is that Noah didn't build it off of his idea. He built it off of God's word. He simply said, God, what did you say? Therefore, I'm going to build it. See, here's the thing about the ark. Noah was building something the world had never seen before. Come on. That's what church should be. Church shouldn't be a better thing than what you saw before, better than the last church you came for. We are not trying to build a better church than down the street. We're trying to build a church that influences the street. That elevates the street, that impacts the street. See, the world has seen a church on every corner, but what they haven't seen is a church that influences the corner. Come on, God said to Noah, Noah, build an ark. He said, what? He didn't have a blueprint, a plan. I think some of us would be all engaged with God. God, just show me everything first. Come on, church. Do you know what Noah did? God said, here, build a boat. I'm going to show you how to do it. So good, go get a board. Start with that. Pick up a hammer. Get a nail. Go get some tar. Come on, somebody. We don't need to see the whole picture. We just need to hear what God has said and begin to obey, and things will begin to change. What does Jesus say in John chapter 13? Jesus says, this is how they'll know that you're mine when you love people. Not when you preach better, not when you sing Hillsong, although it's awesome. Come on, somebody say amen. It's not the lights. It's not the skinny jeans. They will know that you are my disciple when you love somebody. 
The, church, the world is looking for a church they've never seen before, a church that won't gossip about each other, a church that won't backstab each other, a church that actually owns the vision and isn't waiting for the vision for someone else, a church that's not built on the talents of 20% but actually is engaged with 100%. That's what the world is looking for. That's what love actually begins to look like. You know, the other day I was coming out of our Philly campus and we deal with a lot of the homeless in Philadelphia and there was a young couple there uh, in the young 20s and the young man said to me, excuse me, sir, can, uh, we haven't eaten today, can you give us some money? And we have a policy at our church, we don't give homeless people money, we take them out for lunch, we take them out for a meal. And not just because, you know, we know what they're going to do with the money, go buy drugs, but it's because we believe that they have a story. And, and we want them to know that they're not invisible, that they matter to us. And so we, we, what's 30 minutes of our life, come on somebody, to, to actually take a moment and actually let them know they're valuable. And, and so I, I took them a car, we sat down and I said, hey, tell me how you got here. And they began to tell me the story about how they had, uh, they had gotten good jobs, they got an apartment, they had gotten married, they had gotten pregnant, they had a little baby girl named Sophia. And when the man talked about Sophia, the woman began to cry uncontrollably. He said the problem was that after three months, Sophia died, and we just didn't have anywhere to go. We don't have any family. We didn't know who to turn to. We were hurting so bad. We were in so much pain. We didn't know what to do. So we turned to the only thing we knew, drugs. And when we turned to drugs, you know, we lost our jobs, and we lost our house, and here's where we are. That broke my heart. They didn't even think about coming to church. They didn't even think about finding peace and an answer for their pain in the house of God. But what made it worse for me is in that moment, he said, Pastor, can I ask you something? I said, absolutely. He said, I don't understand something. Why would a pastor ever eat with someone like me? Come on, somebody. We've missed the mark, church. We've missed the mark. If the people who need us the most would never even come to conceive that you and I would eat with them because they're unworthy and they're not good enough, have we so separated ourselves from our community that they don't even know we exist for them? The world doesn't need to see a better church program. They need to see a church they've never seen before. People who love people will elevate their world. I was sharing with Pastor the other day. We, uh, we um, Lifetime, the, 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 um, the cable channel, is doing a new documentary series in our church. They rented our church building to do this thing called Sing It. It's about acapella music. It's really kind of cool. And, and uh, the way that they got to it is that they were looking for facilities in our area and they saw some of our pictures of our renovated sanctuary and, and, uh, and lobby online. That's what brought them in the doors. But when they came in, when they actually saw the facility, then they began to meet the team. Then they began to talk to some of our people. Then they began to hear what we do, elevating our community, reaching out to a younger generation. And these are the words of the producer. He said, man, there's something different here. This is a church like I've never seen before. I don't know why. This is what he said. I don't know why, but I have to shoot this here. He's not saved. He doesn't know Jesus. But there was something that he was experiencing in the atmosphere that drew Hollywood. Come on, somebody, to church. Church, the world doesn't need a better program. The church needs a church that's alive. Love the name of this church. But what we've got to grab a hold of today, my friends, is that God is not, that what God is building takes time, not a miracle. 
It's going to take time. Sometimes when we think about church, you know, we hear pastor talk about vision. We're like, woohoo, if God's in it, it's going to do it. No, no, no. God is inviting us to be a part of what he's doing. Noah, this is my plan, but I need you to work. It took Noah 100 years to build the ark. That's a lot of time. It didn't happen overnight. It wasn't a miracle of God. Stay with me for a moment. The miracle God was doing was not in building the ark. The miracle God was doing was already inside the ark. God saving people who didn't deserve to be saved. God pouring out his mercy on those who deserve death. That, my friends, is the miracle of God. When people come to Jesus every week in this service, that's the miracle. What God is doing, the miracle is what he's doing inside the ark, not in building it. In building it, it's our job. You and I actually have to get on board and actually take a time. The challenge, though, is, let's just be honest, the challenge to building the church is that while we're doing church, we often encounter pain. Pain. Man, when you come to church, church does not remove you from pain. Come on, somebody. Why? Because hurting people hurt people. Sheep bite. I always love, Jesus says, oh, you are my flock. He is my shepherd I shall not want. Do you know what a shepherd is surrounded by? Sheep. Do you know what sheep do? They bite. They bite. They stink. They poop on each other. Come on, somebody. That's that's actually church. If you think you're going to come to church and not get hurt, come on, somebody. You're in the wrong place. Hurting people hurt people. The problem is sometimes we face pain, whether it's the pain of inconvenience. The, 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 the pain of, of, of time, the pain of offense. We get offended by something that was said or something that was done. We get offended by the, 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 the having to give and having to serve. We, we just get offended, guys. And at the end of it, it's a moment of pain. Sometimes just life has pain. And in our life of pain, we have learned to hide from church. And the reason we hide from church is because we have learned that in church, we better look right. And we can't ever tell somebody we're having a bad day. This is the place where it's okay to be in pain, just not stay there. I think sometimes when we go through pain in life, the problem is that we've misunderstood pain as people. We've learned that every sense of pain is bad, but that's not true. You know, when you, when you touch a fireplace and, and it's hot, that pain is bad. You need to stop. But when you go to the gym and you're punch, pushing out those reps and you hit a pain threshold, how many of you know you need to push through the pain? Why? Because that's where the growth is. Some of us have been in church for 30 years, still the same place we were, come on somebody, after about six months of being saved because when the pain came, we didn't push through. I love Noah, I love Noah in this moment. I love him because in this moment, Noah, man, can we agree Noah, Noah probably had some blisters? He probably had some sore muscles. He probably got in a fight with his wife or two because she's like, come on, all you're doing is you just do ministry. You're just building the ark. That's all that you ever do. You never have time for the family. He's like, woman, I'm trying to save the world. Come on. There was pain involved, but what I loved about the pain is he kept showing up. Can I encourage you? People ask me all the time, Pastor, how do you get to where you are? I just kept showing up. In the good days, I showed up. In the bad days, I showed up. When my marriage was about to be divorced, I showed up. When we got the phone call that my wife had cancer, I showed up. Come on, somebody. Just keep showing up. Show up for your life. Show up for your destiny. If you don't show up for your life, who will? Come on. See, 
Somewhere along, we began to believe the lie that church should be comfortable. I tell our church all the time, if you're comfortable in our church, you need to, you need to leave. You need to leave because I love you. You need to leave. You should always feel welcome in church. You should always feel friendly with each other in church, but you should never feel comfortable when pastor's preaching. He should be all up in your business all the time. Because here's the, here's the reality. The reality is faith doesn't exist in the comfortable. Faith only exists in the uncomfortable. So he's not here to pacify our preference. He's here to challenge and stretch your life so that you can be all that God created you to be. Come on, Peter, get out of the boat. Yeah, but God, it's a stormy sea. I know. Hey, Daniel, get in the lion's den. Hey, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, get in the fiery furnace. But that's where the fourth man appears. That's where the one dressed as the Son of God shows up. Some of us want the miracle without the fire. We want the growth without the pain. But you've got to recognize today, you've got to recognize today that most people come to church because they want answers for their pain. And the pain you and I are going through might just be the platform for someone's freedom tomorrow. A couple weeks ago was Mother's Day, and we had some of our ladies at church who have lost their mothers throughout their life. Some of them didn't have, lost their mothers really early on. Didn't really have mothers growing up. Some of them lost them to cancer and everything else. And Obviously, Mother's Day is a hard day for them. But they decided to do something different. They all gathered together, and we have a bunch of nurses who work in the NICU, which is the kind of the intensive care unit for children, little babies when they're born. And uh, they decided to throw a party for the moms whose children are in the NICU on Mother's Day. Because even though that day was going to be painful for them, come on, somebody, they understood, they were able to understand the pain of another mother. Began to bless them. It was such a huge hit. People heard all about it. And, and they raised so much money in that moment. So many people began to give to them. They not only are able to actually move and, and, and throw that party, now they're able to redo this room. It's called the nesting room. It's the place the moms go to hold the babies for the last time before they die. And in this moment, that room, it was just white, and it had a little hard chair, and it had fluorescent lights. It was so cold, and this is the place that moms were facing the greatest challenge of their lives. And in this place, these women said, it's not enough this way. We've got to do something for these women. And through their pain, it became a platform to bless somebody else. The pain you've gone through in your life is only meaningless if you don't use it for God's glory. It's not going to happen by a miracle. It's going to happen when you and I grab a hammer when you and I grab a board, when you and I grab a nail, we push through the blisters and the pain. And we begin to build what God is trying to build here in Clifton and in Rutherford and in North Jersey. What we've got to recognize, I think, when we look at this moment in time, is what God is building, my friends, is not accidental, it's intentional. When it comes to our part in church, it can't be accidental. We have to think intentional. I love that verse in 22. Noah did everything God commanded him to do. See, what would happen if in our church today, if we began to think that way, I'm just going to do what God commanded me to do. 
You know, one of the first things that God commanded, and our pastor said today, sometimes, you know, it's sunny out, we don't show up at church. Sometimes it's rainy, we don't show up at church. Sometimes it's snowy. When, when is a good time to show up at church? I, I, I always believe that the best model to follow is Jesus. That's a great model. Everybody said, you know, we always wear that. What would Jesus do? Awesome. The first thing Jesus did every week was show up at church. Luke 4, the Bible says this. In Luke 4, he says, as was his custom, every Sabbath, Jesus showed up at church. What I love about Jesus is when it came to his bride, Jesus didn't date his bride, he married her. He was committed to the bride. I think, unfortunately, in kind of our 21st century consumer Christianity, we are dating the church. And we go from one church relationship to another church relationship to another church relationship, getting what we want. But come on, somebody. We can't date the bride. We've got to be committed to the bride. Come on. The church is not a booty call. Come on, somebody. You can't get drive-by Christianity. you got to be. Oh, we got something to say about everybody who has a drive-by sex life. Every, Miley Cyrus, who's the 18th man she's with. But it's the same principle in the house of God. Thank you, my brother. Do you realize that even Paul, Paul, in Romans chapter 1, this hit me a little while ago. Paul, the Bible says in Romans 1, Paul shows it, writes in his letter, I can't wait to be with you because I know I've got something to impart to you, but I also know you have something to impart to me. Can you think about that for just one second? The Paul, super apostle Paul, right, who wrote like a third of the Bible, planted most of the churches in the world. Think about this in a moment. Paul says, you know what, I need church. Now, can you be with me for just a moment? If Jesus needed church and Paul needed church, I'm just saying maybe you and I need, I'm just saying, I don't want to mess up your life, don't want to mess up your vacation. I'm just saying maybe we need, we need church. It's got to be intentional. Why? Because in the house of God, there's power. See, in the house of God, you were not designed to do it alone. God looked at Adam and Eve and said, I've got a purpose for you together. Be fruitful and multiply together. Use the dominion I've given you together. There are some things that aren't happening in our life because we're not doing them together. I love this moment. The Bible says where two touch anything in agreement, it's going to be done by the Father. Sometimes we're not getting our breakthrough because we're still trying to do it ourselves. We need each other. One can set 1,000 to flight. Two can set 10,000 to flight. We need each other. My friends, God is doing something. He's stirring something through his church. And I can assure you what God is doing is not building a monument to his glory, but a movement of his people. A movement to make a difference in his world, his way. A movement. Do you realize that's actually what the word church means? The Greek word ekklesia actually means a movement of people, a gathering of people who move in a, in a common direction for a common cause. A gathering of people who move in a common direction for a common cause. Do you know what the cause is? The salvation of the world. Your friend, your neighbor, your co-worker. That woman on the street, that homeless man with his wife, that's the cause. My father coached football for years and he started his career here in this area. And Before I was born, he coached a young man, his name was Charles Danbury. Charles was never, kind of, he never made any, he didn't make all county, he didn't make all state, he, he wasn't an all-American, he, he did, but he was the kind of man that did whatever my dad asked him to do. He played whatever position he needed to play, and 
he was always elected the team captain. One of the most amazing things about Charles is that after his high school career, he volunteered for something other people were running away from, the Vietnam War. At the end of boot camp, he was elected as the platoon leader there for his squadron, shipped off to Vietnam. He was nearing the end of his first tour, just about ready, just a few weeks before he was going to be shipped home. And his team was sent out, and they, they landed in a hot landing zone. The Viet Cong had set a trap for the people. And as they, they left the helicopters and started going into the jungle, the Viet Cong popped out of everywhere. It was an ambush. Started to fire just freely on everyone. As you can imagine, every soldier ran back to the helicopters. And as Charles got back to the helicopter, he turned and looked, and he saw three of his friends wounded on the field. The helicopter pilot said to Charles, come on, Charles, we got to go. We can't stay. And these were the words he said, I can't leave them. They're with me. He ran back through the fire, picked up his first friend, threw him on his back, and carried him back to the helicopter, threw him up into safety. Come on, Charles, we can't stay. We've got to go. I can't leave them. They're with me. Ran back through the bombs and the fire, picked up his second friend. You can imagine now what it was like as the Viet Cong continued to surround him. Ran back to the helicopter, threw him up. Come on, Charles, we've got to go. Listen, you've done enough. I can't leave them. They're with me. He ran back through that fire, picked up his third friend, threw him on his shoulder. As you can imagine now, bullets were like fireflies in the sky. There's bombs everywhere. As he threw up, threw his friend into safety onto the helicopter pad, he was shot in the back and mortally wounded and died. In life, Charles never won one award was never recognized for anything. But through his sacrifice and his death, he was given our country's highest honor, the, the, the Medal of Honor. I don't know about you. I don't need to be famous. I don't need my, my face on billboards. I don't need to sign autographs. I don't need the paparazzi follow me. But there is one thing I want my life to do. On that day when I stand before my king, on that day when I look at him with all love and the passion for my life flowing from his eyes, I wanted to say one thing, just one thing to me. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter in for great is your reward. And there I will see countless faces of people who I helped carry. Do you know why? Because that's what my Jesus did for me. And it's what he does for you. You and I were wounded on the battlefield of life, unable to get up and move. We were dying. And he left his safety of heaven, the glory of everything. And he reached down and he picked us up. And he carried us on the cross. And he was killed so that you and I could be free. He said to his father in heaven, Daddy, I can't stay here. I've got to go to this world. Why? Because they are with me. How different would Clifton be? How different would Church Alive be if we said, man, I can't let ever, someone else just watch the kids. I can't let just someone else do the host team. I can't let someone else just be the giver who carries this church financially. I can't just let pastor carry the burden. I can't let, just let a few live out the life. I have to do it. Why? Because this church and this town, 
in this neighborhood that are with me. Maybe, just maybe today, maybe, just maybe, church isn't about a Sunday event. Maybe we begin to see that it's about living in God's purpose with God's people and able to display God's power through real people living in a real world, showing people a real God in a real way. Can we pray? Today, across this room, from front to back, left to right, just with every head bowed and eyes closed in this moment, I, I want to give people an opportunity to respond, not to me, but to Jesus. See, the truth is he's ready to pick you up and carry you. He's ready to pay the price for your sin. He's ready at the drop of his name to bring change and peace and hope into your life. My friend, I need you to know, just like those wounded uh, soldiers on the field, you too are unable to save yourself. There's not one good thing you can do. There's not one bad thing you can stop doing to motivate God to save you. The wages of our life is death. But the gift of God, the gift, something that can't be earned, is salvation in Jesus. Today, maybe you've been fighting too long. Maybe you've been running too long. Maybe you've been at, without peace for too long. This is the moment. The good news is it's really not about your goodness. It's all about his. You will never be good enough. He already is. The cross did everything you would ever need to do to come to Jesus, to get right with God. The Bible simply says, if today, right here, right now, I will confess Jesus as Lord with my mouth, believe in my heart that he died for me and that was enough, and that he rose again as a sign of God's power and God's promise. If I will simply confess that and believe today with my mouth, I will be saved. Today will be your day. Today's a day of new beginnings. Today's a day of fresh start. Today's a day you can step into your purpose and leave behind your past. Today's your day. And in just a moment, I'm going to pray for you. But maybe you've prayed that prayer before, but to be honest, you could say, Kyle, you know my life Man, I've just walked away from God. I've let a lot of pain, a lot of things get in the way. I've been offended. I've been let down. People, people have offended me. I've kind of walked away from God in purpose. And today is your day. Come on, prodigal child. You spent too much time in the pig pen. Today's the day to get home. My father's sitting there with fist raised in anger. He's standing there with arms extended in grace. Come home. So right now, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray. And I'm going to ask you to pray with me. But if you're here today, whether for the first time or you're just saying, I need to come back to Jesus, if you're saying, Kyle, add me to that prayer, why don't you just give me a wave where you are? Just stick up your hand high enough and long enough for me to see it because the Bible says where two can touch something in agreement, it's going to happen. Come on, just give me a wave and say, man, I just want to connect with Jesus today. I want to give God every area of my life awesome. Come on, give God some glory, church. Just give me a wave. Come on, church, give God some praise. Awesome. I see your hand. God bless you. God bless you. Awesome. Just give me a wave. Why don't we stand where we are? Whether you're here today and you raised your hand or you know down deep inside you needed to, I'm going to pray. I'm asking you to pray with me and then I'm going to turn it back over to the pastor. And, but this is the miracle part right here. This is the miracle part. It's not an empty prayer. You're not praying to me. You're just praying with me. You're praying to a God that can breathe life into you today. So just pray. Can we pray together? Just say, Dear Lord Jesus, here I am today. I've come to give you my life. 
All that I am, all that I have, all that I ever will be, I give to you now. I'm asking you, Jesus, to be the Lord and Savior of my life. Forgive me of all my sin. Cleanse me of everything I've done wrong. Fill me with your spirit and make me your child. From this day forward and forevermore, I choose to live for you, for your church, for your kingdom, and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come on, church. Give God some glory. Lord, we love you. What a great God you are. Come on. Hey, guys. Pastor Anthony here. Hope so much that this message just impacted your life in an amazing way. If it did, feel free to share it on one of the social media outlets. And if it really impacted you, feel free to also email us at connect at churchalive.tv. Stay connected online and on our website. We'd love to have you in either Clifton or Rutherford. See you soon.